mercy and peace are yours from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a confession to make to you all this morning. I am tired. Tired of the coronavirus. Tired of wearing a mask. Of not going to my favorite restaurant. I'm tired of being stuck at home most of the time. I'm tired of being told what I can and cannot do. And I'm also tired of our politics. The constant, insatiable quarreling among our governing authorities that has come to dominate our news. I am simply tired of it all. Perhaps some of you share that feeling as well. So what then are we to make of our epistle reading this morning? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities? How do I respond to this text, this word from God, when the last thing that I want to do is be subject to these governing authorities that we have? It seems to me that this assignment in our lectionary could not have come at a worse time which perhaps makes it the best time for us to hear this word from God. As we consider this morning's reading, let us first reflect on the setting of Paul's epistle. It can sometimes be so easy to read Paul in a vacuum, but Paul is writing to real people living in a real time and place. In this epistle, he is writing to the people in Rome, the Christian church in Rome, around A.D. 57. The church that received this letter is living in the aftermath of the expulsion of the Jews from Rome by Emperor Claudius in A.D. 49 or 50. Remember that at this time, to Rome, Christians were just another Jewish sect, and so Christians would have been expelled along with the Jews. Certainly, many of the leaders of the church were exiled as well, What would happen to them upon their return to Rome? What would happen in their former churches and in their relationship with the Roman authorities? When they received this letter, the church was now under the new emperor of Rome, Nero. Much of what would make Nero infamous was not yet to occur, but we know from hindsight that Nero would ultimately destroy Jerusalem and the second temple along with it. And Nero would perpetrate the first major persecution of Christians in Rome after the Great Fire. This is the context in which the church in Rome would be reading this epistle. So what was Paul trying to tell the church in Rome at that tumultuous time? And what does Paul's word tell us today in our time? To understand Romans 13, we need to go back to Romans 12. To the first verses, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Chapter 12 marks a turning point in Paul's letter to the Romans, where he begins a series of exhortations or instructions that will continue for the next several chapters. Here, 
He is providing instruction for the church in Rome and to the church in Tillamook on how to live as Christians in our new life under the gospel and what living under the gospel means as we live in community and here in chapter 13 as we live as members of civil society. But now, let us jump back into this morning's text toward the end, verse 8, where we read, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. By this, we understand the earlier and perhaps troubling verses of chapter 13 to be about service to our neighbor. The life of a Christian in community is marked by service and love. And I know that as Paul is writing, he is writing instructions meant to uplift and help the church live peaceably among themselves and in the larger society. But I personally find these words quite convicting. I don't know about you, but I often find myself asking, or I am forced to ask myself, do I always love my neighbor? Am I loving my neighbor when I respond to the governing authorities with exhaustion and irritation as I did this morning? What does this type of love even look like? We have so either watered down or sexualized the notion of love in our culture that I think it can be hard to understand what it means to love our neighbor. This is made all the more difficult in this time of coronavirus, civil unrest, and divisive politics, where we are often driven away from our neighbor in fear and hatred, and not drawn toward our neighbor in love. But from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, we know what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So how are you doing? Can you see yourself in this description of love? Perhaps a dim reflection? Perhaps none at all? To love is the law. To fail to love is to sin, to be convicted by the law. The only way I can love is because I was first loved. What we are talking about here is agape love, the love of God for his creation. This is the love that is given without cause, that is given to the unjust and the unworthy just as much as to the worthy. This is the type of love that Jesus talks about in John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is the same word for love that Jesus would use later in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This 
is the love of Jesus on the cross, the love that led to Jesus' humiliation to the all-powerful God, lowering himself to take on flesh, to die, to die my death and your death for my sin and your sins. Christ is the ultimate example of this love, this selfless, self-giving love. And because Jesus loves me, I am empowered by the love of God to love my neighbor. This is the love that Paul is exhorting us to have in our reading this morning. And yes, this is the love that we show for our neighbor when we are subject to the governing authorities. This is the love we show when we do not resist the authorities that God has placed over us. For God has appointed governing authorities for our benefit. Now certainly not all of the men and women who hold offices of authority are good or decent or righteous. All are sinners. I hate to be the one to break it to you this morning, but no matter who you vote for in November, they are a sinner. President Trump is a sinner. Vice President Biden is a sinner. Governor Brown is a sinner. And even our very own Mayor Weber is a sinner. But just because you did not vote for them, just because you may not like them, just because they too are sinners, does not mean that we can flaunt the authority that God has placed over us. For love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does not wrong a neighbor. Just because we may not like Suzanne Weber does not mean that I get to drive my car through the stop sign on Grove Avenue and disregard the police when they try to pull me over. Because in doing so, I may harm my neighbor and I flaunt the authority God has placed over me. The stop sign is there, after all, to prevent me from harming my neighbor, from hitting them with my car. And just because the candidate that we vote for in November may lose the election does not mean that we get to stop paying our taxes. Because in doing so, we may harm our neighbor and we sin against God's authority. And I know Romans 13 might be jarring to our American ears. We are a people born out of revolution, of protests and counter-protests, of slogans like live free or die, where words like freedom, independence, and liberty seem to be more prevalent than love repentance, and forgiveness. We do like to revel in our left-hand kingdom freedoms, but we have been made free in Christ in the eternal realm, in God's right-hand kingdom, through the death and resurrection of Christ. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You are free. You are a fully forgiven, baptized child of God. There is nothing more you need for your eternal freedom than faith in Christ Jesus, that his death atones for your sins. And by your baptism into his resurrection, you are raised to new life. And as a baptized and saved child of God, you, we are now empowered to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to love and to serve. 
you were called freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5, 13. As free children of God, God returns you and me into the world, free to participate in his good creation, to look at the perfect humanity which is Christ, and to walk in his steps, to be fully human as God intended at creation, and to which you will be in the resurrection. Expounding on Galatians 5 here, Pastor John Rasmussen writes, In the New Testament, Christians are called to use their freedom for their neighbor's well-being. So just as Christ freely gave himself for my sins to set me free, I am set free in him to freely serve my neighbor in sacrificial ways. For example, it is within my Christian freedom to drink beer, but if I have a friend over for dinner who struggles with alcohol addiction, I'm going to use my Christian freedom to drink something else. Doing so is love. And as the champion of Christian freedom, Martin Luther once said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Despite all of Paul's exhortations to love, recall earlier in Romans his confession, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This too is my confession. I know that I am a sinner. I do not love as Paul would have me love. So where is the comfort? Where is the gospel in Romans 13? Well, I think it's actually right at the beginning of our reading. For there is no authority except from God. God the Father, who lovingly and carefully created you and daily provides for all of your needs, is the sole source of authority. God, the Holy Spirit, who claims you in the waters of baptism and declares you are mine, is the sole source of authority. God, the Son, by whose death and resurrection you are saved, is the sole source of authority. Take comfort in Matthew 28, where Jesus exclaims, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the source of all authority. When Jesus ascended, he took his place as Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus reigns. Your Savior reigns. And his reign is good and perfect. His authority is good and perfect. Your Lord also forgives. Matthew 4, verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is inviting you to repent. He knows my weakness. He knows that we fail to love our neighbor. He knows that you sin and that I sin. So he invites you to repent. And his invitation is not one of intimidation, 
The kingdom of heaven being at hand has been used to scare us, to say, shape up, because God is right around the corner ready to get you. But Jesus did not come to scare us, but to save us. Jesus did not come to intimidate us, but to redeem us. You are saved. You are redeemed because of what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb. So bring your sins. Bring your failure to love your neighbor. Bring them to Jesus and set them at the foot of his cross. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly for you. Jesus has therefore set you free, free to love your neighbor as Jesus loves you, free to serve and free to be subject to all. This may not be easy. This may mean that we do things that we do not particularly enjoy doing. But remember, for you, Jesus humbled himself. For you, Jesus was subject to Pilate. For you, Jesus went to the cross. And for you, Jesus overcame death and the grave. And now, as Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus is there for you to hear your confession, to forgive your sins, and to show you his love, that you may love each other. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.